Well, we are in the middle of a, of a late summer series called Wanderlust, and uh, it is really that lust for life, the lust for the journey of life, particularly our passion for the road that God has us on. And we began our series with this basic premise that God wants us constantly moving forward. God wants us constantly moving forward. He didn't design us to stay put, to stay stuck. He wants us moving, moving forward, growing in maturity, growing in faith, deepening our relationships with him and with one another. Our theme verse is Ephesians 4.22, and it is a doozy. Put off the old self and be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God. This is the doozy from last week. You are created to be like God. Now, I know that's a wild thought, so we digested this thought into a, a more manageable thought. By God's grace, by God's spirit, and by the encouragement of God's people, can we live a little more like Christ tomorrow than we did today? Can we take this in bite-sized chunks? So instead of thinking, hey, I, I can't become like God, instead we say, you know what, I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wandering towards the likeness of Christ. And I could be a little more like him by his spirit, by his grace, and by the encouragement of one another. Be more like him tomorrow than I was today. We can get our heads around that. That is the wanderlust. It is a passion for the journey to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about the two essential elements needed for this journey. First, to be grounded in grace and then to be uh, uh, connected in community. Grounded in grace and connected in community. These two are essential. This is not an ominous religious journey that's a heavy burden of a bunch of regulations and do's and don'ts and, and, and this, this tough you know, backpack filled with all these regulations and expectations from God. No, it's a journey of grace. We enjoy being loved by God, enjoy having his grace pour out upon us. And then we're connected in community. We're not designed for just a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're designed for a communal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we are together walking the journey towards Christ's likeness. Today we're going to talk about being strengthened to serve. Strengthened to serve. Now I have to just be real clear up front. It is very difficult to teach about serving in a grace-based church. In a more religious environment, it would be a piece of cake. And we'd say something like this. Hey, Jesus died and bled on a cross for you. The least you could do is teach Sunday school. Right? I mean, that's kind of the old religious it's guilt, manipulation, and kind of shaming people into volunteering. It's, so, all right, I guess I'll serve. They, they need help, and I'm tired of getting yelled at. And, and so, all right, let's do that. It's a heavy motivation. So as a grace-based church, we're not going to use that religious motivation, but what we have to do is we have to create such a compelling vision that all of us are going to want to get on board with making that vision a reality, right? And fortunately, we don't have to create it because Jesus really already took care of that. Um, but here's a problem. The problem is the rate of volunteerism in America and in the church as a whole is woefully low and getting lower. According to a recent study, 25.3% of Americans volunteer. 25.3% of Americans volunteer. Three out of four Americans do nothing to help other people. They're in it for themselves. Now, the church world is a little better. In the church, there is a 34% rate of volunteerism, which is, which is a little bit better. Uh, two years ago, we did a survey at Rancho, and we had, we're in the 40s in terms of percentage of people here who volunteer. And so that's okay, but we still have a, a ways to go. There's some disconnect between uh, serving and getting people to serve. There's some disconnect there, and we've got to identify that and talk about that and really develop a plan then to fill that gap. 
Now, there are a lot of reasons not to serve. I came up with seven of them. Seven reasons not to serve, right? Now, some of these are legitimate. The first one, and I think the most legitimate one, is I'm a mess. If your life is a total mess, do not serve. I mean, there's people I know by name here at Rancho. It's like, please don't serve. <laughs> now, this is not to judge, but this is just to say that all of us, at some point, our lives are a total mess. When my family came to Rancho, we were a total mess. We came to Rancho just broken, beaten down, struggling family. We did not come all chipper. Where can we serve? No, we came a mess. And we come open into Rancho, and Rancho mobilized and served and loved our family. It was awesome. So if you're a total mess, hey, this is your time to be served, not to serve, and that is okay. Another reason not to serve, and this is the most famous, is I'm way too busy. And there are a lot of people that are way too busy. And this is not an illegitimate excuse. There are just times and seasons of life where things just get crazy, right? Uh, some of this is by choice, but some of this is by circumstance. And I'm telling you, some of the most faithful, mature leaders here at Rancho, sometimes for a season, have to say, you know, I got to bow out for a little bit in serving, but I'll be back, right? Whether it's a family crisis or the age of their kids or a circumstance with their kids or something at work, they got to bow out of service for a while, but they get back in. So this could be legitimate. It could also just be, hey, we got ourselves too busy. You know, maybe the third softball league is unnecessary, uh, the fifth kids sport, you know, but we can prioritize and shuffle so that maybe we can carve out an hour to serve. Most, most positions here, they take an hour. Some of them take 15 minutes a week. And so there's ways to kind of work with that. Uh, another excuse, these are just honest, <laughs> lazy, just lazy. Now, I understand this. When I was a, uh, a child, it was Saturday morning. My family had two and a half acres, and it was time to weed. Believe me, as a 10-year-old waking up on a Saturday morning and parents are saying, hey, it's time to weed, it's like, well, don't want to. What else do you have planned? Nothing. But I don't want to do that. So sometimes we're just not into it, right? Uh, another just honest reason is too selfish. I don't wake up in the morning thinking of others. I wake up in the morning and think about me and my life and my career and what I want to do today in my list, right? So these are, some of these are legitimate. Some of these may not be. These are some reasons why people don't serve. I think there are three reasons that are deeper than this that are actually more the reality as to why people don't serve. They are deeper. They're not things we talk about, but I think they're real. The first one is I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Volunteering is a huge risk. Sometimes I think in the church leadership world, we don't understand the risk of volunteering because we serve in the church every day. So, hey, everybody should be serving, right? People should be breaking down our doors to serve in our ministry. That's kind of how we think sometimes. But we forget just how nerve-wracking it is to volunteer because a lot can happen when we volunteer. We could take the risk to say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to volunteer I'm going to sign up for this ministry. You can go to that ministry leader or send an email and say, hey, I want to sign up for this and this and this. And you may get something back that says, you know what? We actually don't have that available. It feels like a rejection. And rejection is one of the hardest things to go through. So there's a nervousness about signing up to volunteer because we might be rejected. There's also a nervousness about um, how it's going to go. 
I may sign up to be a, a facilitator, uh, you know, to open up my house for a small group discussion and invite some friends over and some people from the church come over who might be a good fit. And the first week, you might have 12 people. Second week, you might have three. The third week, you might have just your dog and your dog doesn't even want to be there. There's a big risk of failure. You know, I'm going to sign up to do something and what if it doesn't work? That's a hard thing to do. We have to realize that signing up to volunteer is a big emotional risk for people. So we have to be sensitive to that for sure. There's another pretty deep and spiritual reason is why we sometimes don't sign up to volunteer, and that is we don't think we have much to offer. We don't think we have much to offer. I, I remember when I was asked to serve in the middle school department, I thought, I've got nothing. I have zero to offer these kids. First of all, I'm a, an absolute dork in high school. I'm the nerdiest nerd, and that's before nerds were cool. People made movies about nerds in the 80s that were not cool. Now, movies about nerds, they're the cool ones and signing everybody's checks. But back in the 80s, I'm, I'm the uncool nerd. I, my skill set was getting an A in math. And I was asked to serve middle school students who could be the most cruel people on the face of the earth. Be, when I signed up to be a, a middle school leader, I thought I was signing up to be harassed and bullied by middle school students. But I signed up anyway. You know, it just don't have much to offer. So I, I totally understand that. Uh, another reason is this thought that I may not really even make a difference. What difference will I make? You know, here I am signing up. I'm taking the risk to sign up. Uh, I don't know what's ahead. I don't know if it's going to be a success or a failure. And I'm going to put all this effort and put this risk out there. Am I really going to be making a difference? Am I really going to use, you know, my God-given gifts and abilities here? Or am I just going to be doing something I'm not connected with, and I feel like what I'm doing doesn't match my gifts, and I'm just wasting a bunch of time doing no good. And just to be very honest, the church does not do a good job at getting the best out of people. And I put us in that category. We're working on this all the time. I mean, we have got a church that is filled with very creative thinkers, creative people, uh, artists. It's filled with people who are excellent managers and problem solvers, and captains of their industry, right? Solving some of the world's global problems in your workplace, and where are we gonna put you in church? You know, and sometimes, sometimes we don't fully realize the incredible gifts that we have here, and then how to create opportunities to have an impact for the kingdom of heaven based on those gifts. Not to just put that round hole in this square peg just because we need somebody there. So it's a pretty complex deep spiritual reality that prevents people from volunteering or at least creates sometimes a discouraging reality. Here's what we need. We need vision and confidence because we often lack the vision and confidence to serve. We, we lack the vision and confidence to serve and so we just stay a part of that 75% that doesn't serve. So we need a compelling vision, a compelling vision. Now, uh, Benjamin Franklin, obviously, as you know, is one of our founding fathers of our country. He is considered to be the founding father of volunteerism in America. It was his goal that this brand new country would have such a clear vision of what a society could look like that people would volunteer to sign up for it. So he created uh, Philadelphia volunteer street sweepers. He created the volunteer militia. He created the first volunteer fire department because he thought that if people had a compelling vision of what could be, they will sign up and they will serve. Here's what he said. He said, one serves not to save their soul, but to build a strong society. See, he was raised in a very harsh religious Christian environment. He was raised in an environment of hellfire and brimstone, threats and manipulation. You know, you serve or you're gonna burn. That's the religious environment that he was raised in. 
He left the church when he was 15. He couldn't take it anymore, and he left the church. And when he left the church, he became free to envision wonderful things ahead. When he was in church, all he got was just the beat down, right? From the pastor, hellfire, brimstone, manipulation, fear, and guilt, and that whole thing. So he says, I am free to serve in order to save my soul. I am free to serve because I envision a strong society, and I want to be a part of building that strong society. Now, we're not here to talk about the vision of Benjamin Franklin, but fortunately, his vision really came from Jesus Christ. He had that Judeo-Christian ethic, even though he wasn't in the church in his later years. He had that Judeo-Christian ethic, the ethic of Jesus Christ and the vision of Jesus Christ that says this place can be wonderful. This place can be incredible. This world that God loves so much can be spectacular. Let's grab that vision, seize that vision, and let's work together towards that vision. Jesus was oftentimes in the gap between the way things are and the way things could be. Jesus was articulating an incredible vision of the way things could be, but he was living in the way things are. So here's how that went. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is good news. The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. There is good news ahead. There are good things ahead. He was healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus understood the vision. The vision was the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is how you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' vision was for the kingdom of heaven on earth. We see in Revelation eleven fifteen this great proclamation that the kingdom of the earth has become the kingdom of heaven. That will happen. The kingdom of heaven is slowly coming to earth, yet Jesus was dealing with the hurt and the harassed and the helpless. And so he knew that gap had to be filled. He knew that gap had to be filled. And so he says to his disciples, hey, could you pray that, that this gap between the way things are and the way things will become, can you pray that that gap gets filled? So famously in Matthew 9.35, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. This vision of the kingdom of heaven, that harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few, very famous passage. There's not enough people to help me with this vision. So here's what he says. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He says, pray for workers. This is called the Jesus trick. This is a Jesus trick. Jesus has a lot of tricks. This is his trick. He says, listen, here's the vision of the harvest. Here's the vision of the kingdom of heaven on earth. A vision of love and grace being the culture in the entire world receiving my love, receiving my forgiveness, and loving each other. That's the vision for this world. There's a big gap between that and the way things are. So Jesus says, hey, pray. Here's the trick. When we pray, something happens. God, I pray that there would be workers for the harvest. Well, maybe that's you. God, I pray for the orphan children in the world. And you go, ah, I think the answer to that prayer is me. God, I pray for youth that are at risk. Somebody should do so. Oh, I think that's me, right? When we pray towards the vision of God, quite often he just says, hey, buddy, you're the answer to your own prayer. You're the answer to your own prayer. If you want something fixed in this world, then step up and work with an incredible team of people to get that vision done, to fix that problem and get this place moving forward. 
I'll tell you what will happen around Rancho, like clockwork. If you came up to any Rancho leader and said, hey, you know what? I really think somebody should do something about blah, blah, blah. You're not going to be able to finish your sentence because we're going to interrupt you and say, hey, that's cool. Thanks for stepping up. You start next week. (laughs) If you've ever thought somebody should do something about something, that somebody is you. That somebody is you. Because God's put that on your heart. God has given you that passion for that thing, that thing that's wrong that needs to be made right. God's given you a passion for that vision that needs to be realized. You could be the answer to your own prayer. And this is true for all of us. This isn't just true of the governing pastors and staff pastors and volunteer pastors. This invitation is for all of us to get involved, get in the game, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God uh, who works all of them in all men. Get this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. The spirit of God has given us gifts. Each one of us has a gift. Every single one. God is saying there's no escape. You're going to get involved. God wants us involved. He wants us in the game. He wants us making this world more like the kingdom of heaven in the exact way we are wired. Each one of us has been given the manifestation of the spirit, God's work in this world. We've been gifted. Now, we might think, okay, how do I know I'm gifted? Think GPS, right? You know GPS? Think GPS. Think gifts, passions, skill. Each of you has a gift. Each of you has a passion. Each of you has a skill. You have actually multiple You have gifts that God specifically gave you. You might be gifted in mercy, helping other people, administration, teaching, leadership. There's about 33 gifts mentioned in in the New Testament. You have a gift mix that's uniquely yours. You have a passion. What breaks your heart in this world? What gets you raving mad? What gives you great joy? You have a passion about something that's wrong or a passion about making something right and better. That passion is uniquely yours. What is it? You have skills that are uniquely yours. Maybe you're gifted with music, technically, uh, with technology. You're gifted in relating with youth. You're in the construction field. You're a laborer. You have skills that are uniquely yours. You've got a formula here by God's unique work in your life that will result in a perfect spot for you to serve in the kingdom of heaven. Every single one of us has that GPS formula that God's put in our lives. Now, another thing that's important to realize is that God will give you everything you need for your service. God will give you everything you need for your service. John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. This is a promise. If we remain connected with Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, listen, listen, we are connected by faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he alone is our forgiver, he alone is our Lord, he alone is our Savior. Through him, we get in relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. We are in relationship with him through love and through grace. We are connected with Jesus Christ. That's why baptism next week is so important. It is a symbol of connection with Christ. We are immersed in Christ, cleansed from the old, raised to the new. As we're immersed in Jesus, he promises you will bear much fruit. If we would walk through that risky door of serving, if we would say, okay, despite some fears, despite my nervousness, despite me thinking I may not have much to offer, I'm gonna walk through that door and volunteer. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna get in the game. We can trust that God is gonna give us everything we need to bear much fruit in a meaningful way. 
Now, here at Rancho, there are four areas of leadership. There's four areas of leadership, and, and if you serve at Rancho, you can just identify which of those four areas you already serve in. If you don't yet serve, I want you to just think about where you might serve. If you stepped up, and next week is draft day, getting people connected in small groups or serving teams, and I'm not saying you all got to do it. You know, some of you are a mess. <laughs> uh, but I, at the right time, God's going to prompt you and your family to get involved at some point. Maybe it's next week, maybe it's not. But for those of you who don't yet serve, as we go through these four, just put in your mind, you know what, I think that might work. There's, uh, the easiest way to start is just to volunteer. And, and here at Rancho, there are about 800 to 1,000 places to serve, to volunteer. And you're just doing something. It takes anywhere from 15 minutes a week to two hours a week, usually. That's the, that's the, that's the range. And there's some perfect spot for you to just simply serve. You're just going to do something. You're not leading people. You're not mentoring. You're not pastoring. You're not teaching, right? You're not mobilizing, but you are volunteering. You're serving. And uh, every uh, Sunday around here, it takes hundreds of people to just make Sunday work, whether with, with music, with, with uh, tech, with uh, welcome teams, uh, ushers, greeters, nursery, um, uh, uh, Sunday schools. I mean, it takes an army of people just to make Sunday work. So you can serve on a Sunday. You can serve midweek in any department from nursery all the way through mature adults. Uh, you can serve in the church, in the community, or in the world. I mean, there are so many places to serve, 800 to 1,000 spots, and there's one perfectly fit for you, right in the area of your passion. Next level is facilitator hosts. These are people who are now engaged with other human beings. You're, you're sort of responsible for other people. And you're saying, you know what, I'm gonna open my home and I'm gonna help lead a discussion. You do not have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a scholar. Everything is done for you. Uh, we are starting a fall series. It's a seven week series. And we are gonna create the content, we are gonna create the questions, and all you're doing is opening up your home, and we're asking you, hey, invite some friends, invite some neighbors, and we'll put some people from the church that might be a good fit for your small group. It's just seven weeks. Open up your home, create a pretty fun you know, atmosphere, put out some food, you can't hurt with food, and just start talking, just start building friendships, right? And maybe you get to a couple of questions in the, in the, uh, in the study. Maybe you don't. My small group has done one sermon-based question last year. So it's really about connecting. It's about friendships. It's about getting to know each other in life and in faith together. That's facilitator host. Next level is pastoring. These, again, are our governing pastors, staff pastors, and volunteer pastors. These are the folks who are now responsible for not just facilitating discussion and building relationship, but they are responsible for handling God's word, studying God's word, teaching God's word. They are equipped to care, things like hospital visitations, things like walking people, when they, through, people uh, through situations where you lose a loved one. We have had our volunteer pastors perform weddings for people, perform funerals for people, baptize people in their groups, and they serve the broader church. That's why when I say these guys are rock stars up here, they absolutely are. They bear a lot of burdens and do so much to care for this church. And then the final uh, tier is multiply. These are those who are growing the kingdom of heaven. They're starting new ministries, they're planting churches, they're missionaries. You know, they are mobilizing the church to grow, expand the borders of the kingdom of heaven. These are the four uh, areas of service at Rancho. You can find your way, not only in an area of service, but a specific department. Wherever your passion is, whatever your skills are, to find the perfect spot. Now, maybe for some of you, this is the moment in your life where you're going to step up and serve. 
This is the moment in your life where you're going to say, you know what, next week, draft day, I'm actually going to walk through that big, ominous, heavy door, and I'm going to take the risk, and I'm going to sign up to serve. Maybe today is, is that day that will motivate you to spend this week thinking about where you might want to serve. Because I'm telling you, what happens when you take that risk is powerful. I did a little survey over the weekend of all of our governing pastors and, and uh, staff pastors and where they first serve, when they first walk through that door of service, and it's a pretty cool list. Ritz Zirpel, 22 years old, when he started signing up as a small group facilitator right here at Rancho, um, now a staff pastor. Shri Howe, she runs everything. Uh, at 10 years old, she volunteered to rock babies in the nursery. Evan Rudisell, worship leader, uh, served on a worship team playing drums at nine years old. That was his first, his first uh, time of service. Kyle Preston, our new high school pastor, 20 years old, volunteered in youth ministry. Don Leversage, mature adult pastor, started singing in the choir in elementary school. Orland Vasquez, you know her, started a small group in her backyard when she was in high school. Craig Keller, a men's minister, 26 years old, taught Sunday school with his wife, Joni, here at Rancho. Tangie Cargill, our women's minister, 14 years old, she started serving in her high school youth program. Megan Borlett, our video announcement host, uh, she uh, started stacking chairs in middle school here at Rancho. I was her youth pastor at the time. Brian Phillips volunteered at VBS in fourth grade here at Rancho now our middle school pastor. Steve Solomon volunteered in high school youth group. Sandy Askins, our children's minister, 14-year-old, started helping out with four-year-old Sunday school here at Rancho. Braden Storkerson, our Club 45 and children's pastor, volunteered in high school youth group here at Rancho. Armando Becerra started serving in youth group immediately when he came to faith. Alex McLean, our communications graphics guy, served in his high school youth group as a teenager. Our seven governing pastors, Mick Wilson, as a student, volunteered in high school ministry. Craig Shadle, 25 years old, started serving with his wife in children's ministry. John Augustine, at 12 years old, started serving in a Lutheran altar team for worship. James Nakakihara, 35 years old, serving in adult Sunday school class here at Rancho. Uh, Barry Yoder started serving in his high school youth group. Dave Ketchum was on the leadership team in his high school youth group. Dan Gospel, 33 years old, leading a men's group here at Rancho. It is never too early to begin serving, and it is never too late to begin serving. One of my best friends here at Rancho started serving when he was 77 years old. And he says that was his salvation. That was his salvation because that's when he started getting in the work of ministry. There's a difference between going to church and being a partner with God and building the kingdom of heaven on earth. Close with this, 1 Corinthians 3.9. God says we are fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. Isn't that astounding to you? When we think of God and church, we might think God is just shouting commands, do this, do this, and church is shouting those commands, do this and do that. God says, we are fellow workers. We are partners. This is God telling us we're partners in this. Uh, 13 years ago, my wife and I built our, our last house, and uh, after work and on weekends, I'd strap on the tool belt and get to work and just hustle on this house. It took two and a half years to build. We do everything, so it takes a long time. So we spent two and a half years building this house, and I loved it. One of my favorite things was when my boys got their little toy tool belts. Now, they were four years old when we started. They got their toy tool belts out there, and all right, Dad, we're ready to work. It's like, all right, Tyler, um, just go uh, flip that wire to see if it's live. Just, just flip, because if you hold it, you're gonna have problems, but you just flip, like, like, like I do. Carter, when you connect that gas line, uh, just don't create a spark, you know. So they're, they're, we're putting them to work. 
And, uh, and so these kids are, are working. And, you know, did they bring a lot to the table to build a house? No, they, they didn't, right? They could have had every excuse, you know, dad's out there, he's got it covered. I don't have a lot to bring. I just have a toy tool belt. But for the love of the work and for the love of the partnership, they got out there and helped build this house, right? It's a cool process. Now, we might think, you know what, I'm nervous. I don't have a lot to give, but I'm telling you, if we step up and we say, I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to serve, I just want you to imagine the heart of the Heavenly Father who's got this really big tool belt towards this really big vision of making the earth more like the kingdom of heaven. And here you come with your little toy tool belt going, I don't know about this. I don't have much to offer. I don't know if it's going to be successful. Imagine the heart of your heavenly father welling up with pride that you're just showing up. Now, maybe for some of you, this is the time for you to do it. Maybe some of you next week, you get plugged in. Maybe for some of you, it's not the time. And it's a grace-based church, so that's totally cool, right? But I'm telling you, unless we serve, we will not know the experience of being a fellow worker with God himself, making this world much like the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this incredible vision. It's a vision that is so lofty, so big, that sometimes it seems unattainable. How can this world possibly become the kingdom of heaven? It seems entirely unrealistic. And as we see what's happening in areas around the world, maybe we lose hope. And sometimes your church has lost hope. It just can't happen. But God, I pray that we would recapture the vision of Jesus Christ as he went town to town and village to village and as he walked line, uh, alongside those who were uh, helpless and hurting, as he filled the gap between the way things are and the way things will be, he mobilized an army of people to be fellow workers, co-workers with our Lord and Savior, building the kingdom of heaven on earth. God, I pray that we would recapture that vision and that we would go through this GPS process of trying to discern what our gifts are, where are we passionate, and how does that meet with my skill set? Where is the perfect match for me to get involved, to strap on that tool belt, and to get in the game, and to help change the world around us so that the world more and more looks like heaven? God, uh, we pray for those who are nervous about stepping up. God, that, um, that they would be able to push through that. Give them the courage by your spirit to push through that. Give them the courage to, to be patient and to find that perfect spot for them to serve so that they can experience the joy of being fellow workers with God Almighty. For your glory, for the advancement of the cause of Christ, in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.